Hey, Jeff. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Whoa, you got a nice uh, <clears throat> sharp image here. Well, I paid $20 for this camera about 12 years ago. So Wow. Good piece of tech. Uh, yeah. Wow. Logitech. You know, when they oh, set their mind to something. <laughs> Howdy! Welcome to the Managing Expectations Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Winger. Filling in for Brian Grimm today, Brian doesn't roll on the Shabbos, uh, is my good friend Tree Vo. He's a guy worth missing a nap for. He's worth uh, putting on a shirt with a collar for. Uh, he is a gentleman and a gentleman. Uh, he is... Uh, uh, unapologetically one of my friends who believes in honor. So, Tree, we're ha very happy to have you on uh, this episode 26 of uh, Managing Expectations. How you doing, pal? Doing great. Glad to be here. Okay, why don't you tell us uh, where, you're, where, you're where you're coming from? Well, I live in uh, Portland, Oregon, a city in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the great Pacific Northwest, some would say, others would not. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's beautiful here when you can go outside. Uh, this is one of the seasons when you should be outside, enjoying uh, the weather, the trees, the greenery, the mountains, lakes, rivers. Uh, yeah. Um, what, what's the temperature? What's the temperature today? Oh, it's around 80s something today. It was uh, hot a few weeks ago, really hot, 90s. We peaked at 100. They warned us to stay inside, <laughs> but uh, I think that's not uh, the peaks that other parts of the country have been getting. Um, so yeah, temperate. Here in uh, here in Texas, it's going to be like 104 today, but at, at least the humidity is 96. So uh, essentially, it's like being in a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. At least the air conditioners are working and you don't have the brownouts. Hey, did you get mail? Maybe. Okay, do you, are, are we still okay? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, uh, Tree and I go back to my stint in Portland, Oregon. Tree's one of the uh, friends that I kept from uh, from that uh, that period, uh, tree like myself, uh, found a wonderful woman uh, who settled, and uh, so uh, he's married well. And uh, how is how is uh, the wife? She's doing great. She's doing great. I know that her. I, I know that her name's Fung. I just didn't know if you wanted it on the podcast. You can bleep this. You, you can bleep me if uh, with your with your five second delay. If, oh, uh, but that, but then that would make it sound like my wife's name was Nixquickitus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's doing fine. She she actually hails from further up north where it can get a lot more colder. But uh, I think she's uh, she's enjoying this more happy medium between the the. the the hotter south and the colder north. All right. So how much do I love you, Tree? Uh, you've just said more nice things about Portland, Oregon than I would ever tolerate from 
anybody else. So, but I'm here to tell you, my patience has reached its end. So, so we just need to go on. Never mind, never mind the fact that 80 in the summertime is a little cool. I mean, that's a little chilly. I mean, it makes me want to get my sweater out right now. So, um, have you, did you see the movie uh, Bridge of Spies? I haven't. With, with um, Tom Hanks uh, plays the lawyer who, um, he's called on to defend uh, a Soviet spy. It takes place in like the late 50s and early 60s. And um, um, Spielberg directed it. Came out a few years ago. Uh, it's terrific. You should check it out. Um, this actor, this British actor named um, Mark Rylance uh, uh, plays the spy. Uh, did you see Dunkirk? I have, yes. Yes, okay. So you remember like the older guy who, who takes his fishing boat across? And he picks up the the pilot out of the water or something, so that's Mar Mark Rylance, and uh, very, uh, you know, of course he's he's kind of an old guy now, but apparently he's been a fixture on uh, British stage and screen for a long time, but he's just now being acknowledged in Hollywood. Anyway, he plays the spy, and he was terrific. <clears throat> Tom Hanks was great, so. If you get a chance, uh, look at watch Bridge of Spies. Um, Mrs. Winger and I just watched that this week, and it was yeah, it was really good. Uh, we we've seen it before. I've seen it before. Um, I got a um, she Julian doesn't really like to watch movies uh, a second time. Um, she's she's just like. Okay, I've seen this before. You know what? Now what? You know, and uh, I tried to sneak uh, Dial M for Murder Buyer. You know, it's a Hitchcock movie, and you know, I think you know Hitchcock's always worth multiple viewings. And um, yeah, she wasn't going for it. So anyway, so so uh, what was the last movie you watched? You saw? Oh. Hmm. Well, I, I am a repeat viewer of movies, and believe it or not, you're gonna, probably going to laugh at me, but uh, I had uh, Up in my library, so I basically watched an older gent and, uh, and a young boy <laughs> down in South America, I guess. The Pixar movie? Which one? Up? Yeah, the, where the older gent uh, fills his house up with balloons and sails for you know, South America. I've never seen it. I... I uh... Yeah, yeah, um, because it looked like a bummer. I mean, wasn't didn't it have didn't wasn't it sad, or was it only sad at one point? Yes, it was sad. Uh, at, yes, without giving anything away. Yes, but uh, it was a very uh, interesting movie since they dealt with death in a Pixar movie. Um, but yes, but uh, other people have said that Pixar did in very few minutes that. Uh, many other movies couldn't do in their full length. Okay. Um, yeah, so in, in the, if you want, they moved on from that point, and then the story is about what happens after, and so that's really interesting. Okay. That's interesting what Pixar did there. <laughs> yeah, I just watched it because it was, I don't know, some, sometimes something happens, and then you're thinking of something nostalgic or something funny that makes you laugh. And there was a scene in that movie that made me laugh or some character that made me laugh. And I just had to play it again. So that, yeah, 
<laughs> okay. That's the last one I saw. It was in my library, my Plex library. I've got, um, uh, I, I have Disney Plus, so I could, well, actually, and I think I have the disc, to tell you the truth. Do, do you remember, do you remember digital video discs, Tree? I mean, maybe you, <laughs> or you, you, <laughs> no, I, I remember the VHS, and uh, I don't remember Betamax because we could never buy the Betamax. But <laughs> well, it was only around for a season or two, wasn't it? Before everybody went to the VHS format. I, I I've had knowledgeable people tell me that Betamax was actually the better um, technology, but Sony didn't get their way. Not at least not until uh, the DVD, and then the DVD was giving giving Sony. It's like okay, you can have this one. <laughs> no, so do you do you still do you still play DVDs or do you stream everything these days? Um, I stream things, but the things I really enjoy that have repeat viewability and I want the best fidelity. Uh, believe it or not, I buy the Blu-ray on. And then I um, I rip the Blu-ray, and then I store it digitally in my Plex library so that I can put away the Blu-ray and store them in a box and never have to read them. And then I have this basic app server that serves the movies I have uh, to any, I guess, screen or tablet or phone in the house. Okay. okay. I think Brian, I think Brian does, does something, something similar. similar. He, he, he keeps, keeps everything, everything on, on a home. home. Okay, okay, so, so what, what, what did, did you call it? it? It's called a Plex Media Server, P-L-E-X. Uh-huh. It's it's there's a few solutions out there uh, that do something similar, but this was um, uh, one that the most I guess the most easiest for me to use, uh, without getting too technical and down into the weeds about how to set it up. Uh, there were still some things that you had to do, follow some conventions, but once you got it up and running, if you have a lot of hard drive space. And I have a Blu-ray uh, uh, player uh, that can uh, read Blu-ray, and I have another piece of software I downloaded that can uh, decode, I guess, uh, the Blu-ray as it's playing into a media file, into what they call a container file, and then just store that as a digital file. Well, hey, listen, I want to thank you for not getting too technical and getting into the weeds on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this must be how kirk felt when scotty was telling him like what he was gonna do it's like okay you know write me a play later okay right now i just need you know i just need warp drive okay <laughs> that was it okay okay no no it's okay it's okay man it's great yeah it's great to have you great to see you uh, so what else? Um, so I came across, uh, uh, okay. So I, I heard this other podcast called backlisted about books and it's a couple of guys in England and they'll have guests on and they talk about particular books that are like out of print and that are still great. And they talk about them, you know? And, and so, uh, honestly, uh, an episode will be like just a little over like between an hour and an hour and a half and like for the first half of it they don't even talk about the book they talk about other stuff 
Um, like, well, they talk about books. They just don't talk about the book that they say they're going to talk about. Um, so I was listening to them talk about uh, the Ian Fleming book uh, on her on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And they recommended this other podcast called Smirsh Pod. Now, Smirsh was the original James Bond evil organization that the Bond was against, Smirsh. And then it like became Spectre somehow. And I, I you know, I, I, I don't know all the Bond arcania about the transition, right? Spectre um, probably sounds better than Smirsh. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so these guys like uh, will will take uh, a Bond movie and dissect it, and uh, it got me thinking. I haven't liked a Bond movie in kind of a long time. I mean, did you like him as a kid? I did because I watched him with my father. Um, and then, do you like him now? No, I don't, because I already know how it ends and how he's going to do everything, and it didn't seem realistic. It didn't seem relatable to me. Yeah, I, um, and of course I haven't listened to everything these guys have to say, and let's just let's just assume they know a lot more about the Bond movies than than I do. Um, I kind of like the Connery ones because they're they're cheesy but in a fun way, right? I hardly remember the Roger Moore ones, but I think that those were a little more tongue in cheek, you know, a little more fun. And then Pierce Brosnan, who seems like he probably weighs a buck sixty with his pockets full of nickels, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard to imagine Pierce Brosnan taking it outside. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, Oh, you know, and, and like I never even saw the Timothy Dalton ones, uh, or or the George Lazenby ones, though I've really been tempted to. And Hulu has a George Lazenby documentary uh, that's supposed to be really good. I mean, it's like he's just like he was just like I don't know a male. He was like, like a model, and then they said, "Hey, you should be in the movies." And he's like, "Okay." And then he was like in one movie and then he retired to Switzerland and he like skis all the time. I mean, I mean, he didn't really try to make a, a career out of it. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't even know he played James Bond until you mentioned it. I've only heard of the other ones. You haven't mentioned uh, Craig though. Daniel Craig. Well, so something's happened. Okay. So it's taken like, you know, 10 years uh, to make, four Daniel Craig movies and um, I don't know you know it's supposed to be more realistic and grittier but they're not I, I don't think they're very much fun and Spectre wasn't a very good movie um, I liked the idea of Spectre because I'm very fond of that Monica Bellucci Bellucci the French Italian. Um, oh, isn't she uh, uh, a legend in, I guess, uh, Italian, Italy? Uh, she is. I think Monica Bellucci. She's like royalty in some in some ways to them. Hmm. Uh, not literal royalty. Right, right. But uh, 
she's pretty, you know, yeah, she's pretty big. She's a big deal. And she's gorgeous, right? And, um, yeah, I don't know. She, she's, she's acted in, um, in France for a long time. I think France has more of a domestic film, uh, industry than Italy. I mean, the Italians obviously make movies. I mean, I mean, the, you know, in the sixties you had Sophia Loren and Marcel Mastrantonio or whatever that guy's name was. And, uh, Fellini, Federico Fellini, of course, was a, uh, you know, I'm talking about these, like I've seen any of these and I totally haven't, you know, I mean, I'm as, I'm as bored by, you know, foreign films as the next American. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think she's huge. I mean, she's a huge star. And then I'm, I'm kind of surprised she hasn't hit over here. And I thought it was interesting that, um, uh, she, um, the James Bond, there was going to be a Bond girl who was actually a grown up and like James Bond's own age. But I mean, <laughs> essentially, did you see Spectre? Okay. Well, you're not missing much, but I mean, uh, he shows up in Italy. Uh, he, you know, um, hops in the sack with Monica Bellucci and then, um, then he's off to chase the bad guy and that was it. And then, so, I mean, she was in the movie like four minutes. Um, and then, and then, and then, and of course, and then he ends up with a chick half his age. So... Yeah. Start uh, had some had some possibilities, but uh, they went the the usual route. <laughs> hey, it just wasn't a very good. Did you see Skyfall? I did. I did see that. Did you like that one? Uh, a little bit, a little bit, um, a little bit. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so what would you say your favorite Bond movie is? I think the the man with the golden gun. Okay. It's possibly because uh, I was a lot, well, I was very young. I was a little boy and I was watching it with my father. And I couldn't remember very much else except the theme song, I think. And that was so catchy that it, and it kind of imprinted on your mind like, oh, this is going to be a great movie just because of this song. And <laughs> yeah, and of all the movies, that's that's the one I remember most. Um, you had a fancy gun. <laughs> um uh, that's that's the one with the uh, uh, Christopher Lee says, uh, "Come, come, Mister Bond. You enjoy killing as much as I do." And then Roger Moore says, uh, um, "When I kill, I kill for Queen and Country. But I must say, killing you will be delish, d delightful, or so something like that. I can't really remember." Oh, <laughs> now I'm gonna have to rewatch it. So. Um, so what are you reading right now? Mm. Oh, please don't get one of those. Don't get one of those computer how-to books. books because, because, well, <laughs> I have the utmost respect for you to be skillful at your work. Uh, it's so. What what real book are you reading? Believe it or not, uh, I'm reading the Iliad. Are you really? I am. Uh, I, I, something clicked in my head a few years ago that said, you know, I've read a lot. I've read a lot of stuff that uh, I thought 
would interest me. Um, but there's a lot of books that people are saying are seminal works that have marked humanity. Uh, and uh, a few years ago, I started on this quest to try to read stuff that I ignored when I was younger. So the Iliad is one of them. I think next will be Odyssey. The Odyssey. But before that, I had read, um, uh, uh, what's the one that was, see, I already forgot it. That was before the Iliad, supposedly the oldest uh, tale uh, that was written for that particular part in Sumeria. Hmm, Harambi? Or what is it? Uh, what am I thinking of? Gilgamesh? Yes, that's it. See, I already forgot the name. I read it and then I forgot the name. Well, I'm glad to help out. <laughs> I read Gilgamesh and now I guess I'm on the, the next book in my series. Honestly, it, it takes some time between books. I know, I know. You know, I was laid up for uh, you know, a couple months uh, with surgery earlier this year. And, uh, you know, I read. It's not like I was watching TV all the time. I mean, I was reading and I, and I, and I read several books, but I didn't read everything I'd like to. You know, I mean, and, and I, I look at my office now and it's hard to imagine living long enough to read all of this. But I did just pick up, uh, you know, uh, uh, the author of Black Hawk Down, Mark Bowden. I, you, I mean, you know, the I, know I know the book and the movie was that uh, came from it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, Mark Bowden is a um, journalist of some note, and uh, he wrote for the Philadelphia Inquirer for a long time, and then he was with the Atlantic. Um, he wrote, um, after Black Hawk Down, he, I mean, he's written, he's written several books and, uh, he, he said once, and I, I thought that this was good. And I think it's also incidentally true of myself. As you know, I had a short career, uh, working for a newspaper in Portland. Um, and during that time, I don't think I was a very good reporter, but I think that I could tell a story. And, and Mark Bowden uh, describes himself that way. And so um, uh, Black Hawk, I'm sorry, I, I got away from my microphone. Uh, uh, Mark Bowden wrote uh, Black Hawk Down about the Americans in Somalia in the early 90s and shooting down the Black Hawk helicopter. By the way, did I, so um, the helicopter pilot of one of those um, well, the, the helicopter pilot of one of the Blackhawks, uh, who lived, uh, the one that was like on the front page of all the newspapers and the one who like, I, I don't know if you remember, but he would, uh, blink. He was blink when, when they had him on TV, they had like videotaped him and he was blinking in Morse code, um, to the folks watching back home. Um, and uh, which is pretty clever if you know Morse code, I suppose. Anyway, when I was working for an airline here in um, several years ago, uh, I put him on a flight uh, from Dallas to Washington. And I knew who he was because I had recently read Black Hawk Down and I bumped him into first class. Wow. That's, That's my, my story. story. Um, uh, anyway, uh, just cause, and, and I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why, 
because he's alive because other people uh there were a couple of other delta force guys who were inserted in the wreckage and they f were fighting off like just you know a horde uh, uh, vast numbers of uh, somalis who wanted to tear everybody limb from limb and so dave duran uh, lived because other people died fighting to save him and i think that that's something that is would be very tough to live with um you know what i'm saying um yeah i mean i mean it's i mean it was the hinge of saving private ryan wasn't it i mean you know the guy that um Private Ryan was saved. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, okay, so we, we've been at this a couple of minutes. I, I do want to take a quick break and thank our sponsor, Mrs. Winger's Masks. Mrs. Winger makes masks. Uh, she can be found on the web at Mrs. Winger's Masks site uh, it's going to be in the show notes but there are times when we all have to wear something that we don't really like um, we don't like um, having to wear a suit to a funeral there's many reasons we don't like that um, you know and sad to say right now we are in a position of wearing masks as we go about our um, public life and so uh why not be not just safe but also comfortable and stylish while you're doing it so by all means check out uh uh mrs winger makes masks um at the uh uh website in the show notes so thanks to mrs winger and her wonderful masks for her support of Managing Expectations, the podcast. So, um, so you're reading the Iliad. Okay, so that is, I mean, that's supposed to be one of like the great depictions of war. I mean, does it translate? I mean, what, do, you, do you know the translation that you're reading? Because it matters, apparently. Oh, uh, I do not know the translation, although it came highly regarding. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it seems very heroic because, you know, you have, you know, humans and doing godly things and then godly things, or gods, supposedly, uh, doing human things <laughs> in the interplay of both fighting and dying on both sides. Of course, the gods don't die, they, but uh, I, I get a sense of urgency in the humans and the heroic things they were doing. Um, and then God's switching sides, arguing with each other, backing one side against the other. Uh, it, it seemed very interesting. And of course, uh, you know, Achilles' uh, hatred of, uh, of um, uh, the uh, Athenian, was it? No, the Spartan king. Spartans, yeah. Uh, Agamemn Agamemnon. That's right, that's right. So, yeah, uh, what I do is I read a chapter. Um, or a book, I guess that's how they called them back then. It must have been a series of books. 
uh, and then I, I quickly say, did I understand that enough? Okay, I understand the major plays and the movements, and because it, it, it reads a lot like a, a theater play to me. Yeah. You go online somewhere and see, okay, to validate that I understood this correctly uh, and, and check to see what uh, uh, some of the uh, crit critics have said about that specific chapter. So just to validate whether I understood it or not, because I do want to understand the whole gist of the, the book in each of the chapters. Otherwise, it just seems like, you know, uh, I'm doing this for, for nothing. <laughs> no kidding. Look at you teaching your teaching yourself uh, the Greek classics. Well, it's That's... I'm on my book chapter. I think I'm on book seven. So it is slow going. It will take a while. But uh, it is definitely one of those things that I'm trying to get done. Yeah. Um, and and so the other thing is, and I knew that there were elements of the fantastic um, in the Odyssey as Odysseus tries to get home from the battle of between Sparta and Athens. Um, I knew that there were monsters and fantastic creatures, Cyclops, Medusa, um, and I suppose that the gods took an interest. I think Poseidon saves him at some point. But I didn't know that these elements of the fantastic were in the Iliad. I thought that that was actually just more of a, well, I don't know what you'd say, a, a, more of a secular telling of the war. But no, they're, they're gods and you get their point of view and their perspective. Yes, yes. Yeah, and who who they're backing, and one god pleading with a greater god to help out and intercede uh, for their chosen hero, and yeah, it was you know that part's fascinating because it's basically the telling of humans trying to imagine what the gods are doing and maybe why explaining why they're winning or why they're losing. Or um, well, I would have won except that god showed up, and <laughs> maybe that's that's one way they put it. Uh, or justify why someone won a battle or why someone lost a battle. Uh, but it's just, it was interesting also in the way, I guess, Homer, the way he was telling it, and just to see how, I guess, someone from the classical age told this seminal story and how so much of, I guess, our storytelling comes from. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm reaching far back there. Uh, obviously, a little bit later than Gilgamesh. Um, but uh, something closer to, I guess, um, I guess what we learned in school about the classics, and then you kind of you put that in the background for a while. You do a lot of other things. The here and now is more important. The technology, the future seems way more interesting than, than the past. But then I think at some point, I think you want to see, well, why why do we read, or why are some stories great and others are not? And I think that was one of the reasons I kind of wanted to make. Uh, I guess that influenced me to, to try to revisit a classic because everybody said it was a classic and I wanted to know why it was a classic. Okay, that's interesting. Um, the um, Okay, so they say Helen of Troy's face launched a, a thousand ships, right? Um, and maybe you've seen the, uh, there, was a, there was a reissue of the Iliad a few years ago that actually had a photograph of the Normandy landing, the Normandy invasion at, at D-Day, of the, the Allies um, with like the Higgins boats and, and American GIs. I, you know, I, 
I suppose they were American GIs. They could have been British or Canadian. I'm, you know, I'm just saying. Um, uh, but that that the Iliad records uh, a level of warfare uh, not otherwise recorded in uh, Western civilization, you know, until the modern era. So, yeah, okay. So I was talking about Mark Bowden, and I got off on Dave Duran. Wait, Rob Duran. No, Dave Duran. I think it's Dave Duran. I don't know. His name's Duran. We look. It, 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 it. <laughs> Wait, her name was Rio. Um, <laughs> um, so he wrote a he wrote a book called Killing Pablo that I actually reviewed for the Fort Worth Star Telegram about the Americans getting Pablo Escobar. Um, I uh, he wrote a book called Guests of the Ayatollah about the uh, Iranian revolutionaries seizing the American embassy. And, you know, if you're of a certain age, I mean, that was like a huge deal. I mean, it was like America held hostage and Ted Koppel and Nightline. And it was the undoing of the Carter presidency. Um, I mean, more than any, I, 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 well, look, I mean, there were a lot of, I mean, the economy was a disaster in the late seventies in the Carter administration. So, uh, it could have been a lot of different things, but ultimately, uh, America being humiliated by Iranian students, um, really undid the Carter presidency, I would say. Anyway, Mark Bowden's latest book, to my knowledge, is called Hue, 1968. And, yeah, Hue. <laughs> party, 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 party on, on Garth. Garth. <laughs> no way. Oh, way. <laughs> so, as as you're fully aware, Tree, uh, Hui is a city. What halfway up Vietnam? Uh, is it is it halfway up South Vietnam or halfway up? I mean, is it near the DMZ? I believe it's near the DMZ. Yeah, I think it is too, which would have made it, which would have made it like halfway up the 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 island or the it's not an island halfway up the country, but it's um, it, it's really famous. the The Battle of Hue followed the Tet Offensive, and the Marines. Um, so the guy, the American in charge. Uh, was famous for saying uh, we had to destroy the city to save it um, and and so there was just like this horrible element of uh, human f uh, f folly and and uh, city house to house uh, combat because um, I I'm I don't I don't it must have been Viet Cong I don't think that it was an invasion by the North Vietnamese at that point, but, you know, it's obviously why I need to read the book. But I bought it at a used bookstore, so I set it aside, and I'm, like, letting it decovidify for two weeks. So, 
so I haven't read it. Oh, hey, actually, and that reminds me, last last week um, I mentioned the short story writer Raymond Carver. Uh, Brian said, where's a good place to start if you're reading Raymond Carver? And I thought of the short story that he wrote that stays with you, which was stayed with me, and it's called After the Denim. After the Denim. And if you're going to seek out a Raymond Carver short story, that's the one. That's the one I would say. Yeah. Yeah, for what it's worth. And then, I go ahead. Definitely putting things on my list, Jeff. <laughs> I got a movie, I, I got a book. Well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to leave aside why you weren't listening to uh, the podcast um, before before now, uh, so, so that uh, there's. I also mentioned, um, and I don't I don't have it right now. Um, oh, here it is. Um, I mentioned this poem last uh last week with brian and it's uh and i had the i even had the uh title wrong but it's photograph of my father in his 22nd year um <clears throat> and you and i don't want to i don't want to say too much but i mean you know one of the things i admire about you is you know you loved and admired respected your father i mean you you know you love your folks and you had a good relationship my um relationship with my own father has been somewhat more fraught over the years you know but i think we're we're in a, a decent place now and actually since i stopped drinking uh he's i'm rather more tolerant uh of, of of him and some of his mistakes but uh carver wrote this um poem it's photograph of my father in his 22nd year and it goes like this october here in this dank unfamiliar kitchen i study my father's embarrassed young man's face sheepish grin he holds in one hand a string of spiny yellow perch in the other a bottle of carlsbad beer in jeans and denim shirt he leans against the front fender of a 1934 Ford. He would like to pose bluff and hardy for his posterity, wear his old hat cocked over his ear. All his life my father wanted to be bold, but the eyes give him away and the hands that limply offer the string of dead perch and the bottle of beer, Father, I love you, Yet how can I say thank you, I who can't hold my liquor either, and don't even know the places to fish? So, that's uh, some Raymond Carver, uh, poorly performed, poorly read. Um, but I wanted to follow that up from last week, which you're really going to enjoy, Tree, when you uh, when you listen to it. <laughs> that's on my list. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, so you were working from home before before the lockdown, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, for two and a half years or so. And then I guess when the lockdown started, the, the company was scrambling to get thousands of 
laptops and I was <laughs> I was like okay well I guess I'm ready um uh, yeah so I guess I've been kind of acclimated to the environment to the climate uh I bring it up because lots of us will listen to stuff listen to podcasts uh on our commute your commute is essentially the time it takes you to finish drying your hands from the bathroom to the time it to the, to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee to uh are you still do you still work like crazy hours i mean you, or has Foon got you to settle down and uh have a more normal life um i, I, I guess i still work crazy hours I, I think what it is is you try to get done what you need to get done between nine to five but those things you can't get done kind of linger in your head because uh, you can't totally detach from it or there's a looming deadline that uh, regardless of the time that you spent on it, if it's still not solved, you got to solve it. So yeah, I try to, I try to time box it and even more so since, uh, especially during the, the pandemic, um, I was already working from home, but not being able to do some of the things that kind of were more relaxing away from the work uh, kind of makes you even more batty. <laughs> so, okay. we're, yeah, so we're, and even vacation, it's now stay home vacations and, you know, That's sure, you take, a, take a walk around the park or something, but it's, it's not kind of the traveling that we used to do or, um, uh, yeah, some of the visiting uh, with friends that we used to do. So it is, it's a lot different. Yeah. Well, I think it's commendable that you, I mean, no, I, um, uh, Mrs. Winger and I were talking about this and I, you know, I think, um, well, because we both work in a, in a public situation, I, I, I don't know anybody who would really want to have dinner with us in a, you know, in a more casual setting because, um, you know, for all we know, we, we carry the virus, but are asymptomatic. I mean, who knows anything? But I mean, we're both really good about wearing our mask when we're out and when we're at home. I mean, it's just us, you know, which is great uh, until I'm a jerk and she gets mad at me. And then, you know, then for two days, it's like, oh, great. Now everybody hates me. <laughs> now I don't have any friends. So, uh, yeah, then I'm self-isolating. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I know I know that there's people who have, like, expanded their, you know, into, like, hubs, right? Like, we're okay. This family's okay. So, but I've just, uh, it's not where we're at. And I don't, I don't really want to, I don't want to push it. I don't want anybody to feel like they gotta, whatever, have dinner, have dinner in my backyard, I think, so. that's, I, I think that's it. I mean, we we do have friends, but if we think of any of our friends ever get the virus and it was somehow because of us, I, I just that, that fear, yeah. that fear is too much to handle. I mean, not the well, fear, but the consequence of that. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, there's an enormous downside. And, and the thing is, there's so much we don't know about COVID-19. I mean, we don't know... I mean, we just, there's just tons of stuff we don't know. And, and you've got your mom with you, right? Um, and so, you know, you got to be careful there, too. 
Yeah. Um, let's see. I. I'm sorry to like hit you with all this, but um, one of the, you know, uh, I've been. So I talked to two different old friends, friends, uh, I mean, from like high, from, from when I was in high school, you know, um, just guys I've known for most of my life. And, uh, both of them have talked about just having bad times. One, one of them talks about, um, not being able to get out of bed. And, you know, I, 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 I told him, you know, I mean, that, at, in all my struggle with depression, um, I've never not been able to get out of bed. Now, in my case, I found the strength to get out of bed and then be a total jerk to everybody that I come across. So I'm not sure that I did anybody any favors. But like, if you got to go to work, you know, I, I never called in sick. I never just like laid there and like risked my job or something like that. Uh, in fact, in fact, to the extent that there are people who uh, don't remember me well in Portland, I, I guarantee you that that was in part me being so depressed uh, because of the weather and other circumstances that were affecting my life there that I was just I just wasn't in good space. And um, and see, this is and this. And this is where, like, the thing with my old man comes in. Because, you know, he'll, he'll always, like, I don't know, not so much lately, but he would always say, I was sick. At, like, I'll, you know, I'd throw something up at him about, you know, how he was a terrible human being. And he'd say, I was sick at the time. Sick with the disease of alcoholism. It's like, oh, you know, shut up. Nobody wants to hear that. Take a little responsibility, for, you know. And, and I mean, I think I had a point. However, I'm saying I really appreciate guys like you who see something uh, worth, who see something in me that you want to be my friend even though you know that I, I can be a disagreeable fellow. I, I think we appreciate the struggle. The, the, not, to, not to call back to Lucas like every geek boy born during the, a certain era, <laughs> but uh, the struggle in you between the dark and the light and it's probably a way of acknowledging the struggle in all of us and i appreciate that because who's to say i have that same struggle and i see your struggle and you winning the struggles and i say there you go that's what i admire <sighs> okay you know i wasn't fishing for a compliment i'm just saying so here's the thing. So so you and I both know that there are people who don't remember me fondly. And and I think that's okay. Because you, you don't, you know, I, I mean, I can't really remember, I, I can't really affect now how people remember me, you know, 25, 25 years ago. Um, 
you know, all I can be, all I can do is try to, you know, be a, a mensch now. Um, but, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that I was sick at the time and therefore I, I don't have, um, any uh, responsibility in the matter. I think you do have responsibility. I think you have a responsibility to not be a jerk, which is why um, mental illness needs to be dealt with and, and, and wrangled with. Um, now, I, I, what I would say is that during my time in Portland, living in Portland, a city where it rains or is gray 300 days a year, and where in Oregon, it's the law that you have to pay someone to pump your gas. And I could go on and on. Um, but, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was still drink I was still drinking and I hadn't come to grips with, you know, chronic depression. So, um, no, I'm sure I was a jerk because you know why? I am a jerk and I try really hard not to be. <laughs> yeah. See, but I don't know why, I, I don't know why you find it amusing. Other people are like, huh, too much drama. See, see you later, pal. I don't have time for this. I got enough problems in my life without you bringing that around here, winger. Or what Jack Nicholson saying, as good as it gets, go sell crazy someplace else. We're all full up here. <laughs> oh. Oh. Gotta watch that again. I, you know, I really like, I like that movie, even though, I mean, that movie's about, like, a lot of really damaged people. Um, everybody in it's just a mess. Uh, um... You know, and it's hard to imagine the two of them being happy, happily ever after, you know, but, uh, you know, the same guy did Spanglish. Did you see Spanglish? No. You never saw Spanglish? No. no it was like, a, it was like an Adam, I don't know. I mean, it came out, I don't know, 15 years ago. It was an Adam Sandler, kind of a serious role. Wow. Uh, it's good. No, it's good. And uh, it's got this woman in it, Paz Vega who is so beautiful. She's like uh, Penelope Cruz's prettier little younger cousin. Yeah, let that soak in. Um, and who else was in it? Tia Leone, uh, who just plays a hot mess. But I mean, there's a lot of... I, I mean, some people hate it. I liked it. Um, I thought... Uh, it was an interesting contrast between uh, Latin and Anglo cultures, uh, ultimately. Um, and, um, like, what was the deal? Like, uh, at some point, like, Adam, Adam Sandler's character is just, like, overwhelmed with emotion and I don't know, he kind of starts getting, like, teary. And, you know, like, Paz Vega had never seen a man cry before because, you know. Um, culture. Yeah, anyway. right. Anyway. Anyway, um, so, so I don't know how, I don't know it, how is it is on your, on your end, end. But, but I've, I've noticed, noticed 
a couple of things. I've noticed that even the people who, so I was telling you about, you about my two old friends, friends the one guy who couldn't get out of bed for a few days. And I think even people who have gotten together have had some incredibly bad days. And, and I think other people who maybe aren't wired any tighter than they need to be are, are having a much worse time. And, you know, when you're, you know, if you have to go to the store and, or if you got to venture out and you're dealing with the public, I mean, I, I think it's, and it's not surprising that some people are popping. I know, look, and I, I can't say that I excuse, you know, one of the things that I just find so exhausting is just making every little thing a political statement. Um, um, wearing a mask is not, I mean, it's ultimately, you know, I, I would say it's a, it's a medical decision, but I also think it's kind of a civic decision, you know? Um, if I'm wearing a mask right now, uh, other people are going to be more comfortable. Uh, and I just think it's, I think you're kind of a jerk if you insist on your rights to the, to the point where, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, and who knows? I, I really, you know what? I, I know that Oregon hasn't been hit especially hard by COVID um, compared to other states in the union. Is that, is that your understanding? Um, but I'm sure that the governor, but I also know that the government is typically not, uh, reluctant to tell the citizens what they can and can't do, like pump their own gas or, and so, so that you, there's probably a mask mandate, right? Where people have to wear their mask. Yeah. So, so, uh, um, um, you know, you, you don't, you don't, um, so anyway, he, you know, I, I know in Texas and Colorado, there, there are mask mandates, but you know, there's just people that don't, won't do it. You know, they just, they just don't want to do it. And they think that, you know, it's in their, it's in their, I don't know, it's in the constitution or something. Deep in their DNA, their, their heritage, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, so a lot of people are shaken up and uh, I keep coming back to this Paul Simon lyric. Um, in, in the song American Tune, Paul Simon writes, I don't know a soul who's not been battered. I don't have a friend who feels at ease. I don't know a dream that's not been shattered or driven to its knees. And, you know, he's not wrong. I mean, I think people, I mean, man, we got to try to be I don't, you know, loving and kind. I, you know, I, I hate it when I sound like a hippie, but um, those things are in short supply. And, um, you know, I, th I th I've been trying really hard to like reach out to some folks that I don't talk to often enough. And Tree, we don't talk often enough, pal, but it's great seeing you on Zoom today. And it's great having you here on the podcast. Likewise, likewise. I feel the same way, Jeff. You know, at least the one good thing about, well, I don't want to say the one. A good thing about the situation we're in right now is that I think we are trying to make the best of it. And if it means using technology or discovering technology 
or, or discovering uh, that we can use this technology to reach out, like through Zoom and and uh, a podcast to be able to talk. Oh, that's I don't want to say thanks to the pandemic, but at least we're making the best of the situation, and that's that's great. That's great. Well, the the podcast isn't you and me talking. That's you and me talking to the world, or all 35 of our listeners, whichever comes first. Hello, Mom. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Hi, Mrs. Vo. Oh, are you going to reveal that uh, you have to say that in Vietnamese? Are you going to reveal your Vietnamese, Jeff? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I uh, so so um, I came I I, um, I came upon a couple of Vietnamese uh, women at my day job and um, started speaking Vietnamese, and they were tickled. I mean, they really were. Um, cause, cause you know, some, some people are like, yeah, I don't know what you're doing cause I, I'm American and you're triggering me by, you know, being a imperialist running dog who's hitting me over the head with your white privilege and your terrible Vietnamese accent. But, um, these folks were great. You know, they were, they were really tickled and, and I, you know, when they, when they asked me, um, you know, how did you know we're Vietnamese? And then I ask them in Vietnamese, uh, why do you think I'm American? And then they like, it's like the funniest thing, right? This thing, it's like so hilarious because it's like so manifest. And, <laughs> and what's really funny too is like how many times people will like go, they like pull on their nose. Like, they're like, look at that nose. What else could you be? It's like, well, I could be a Roman emperor with this nose. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, um, um, all hail the Caesar salad. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, 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 let's see. What would I say? Uh, Kaman, uh, untree, untree, um, I don't know. Uh, Hong Ngai Choi Depwa. I won, Jeff. <laughs> I, I, you know, this is uh, this is so out of context. Oh, and if you had a cool thing for like Japanese, you know, because you say moshi moshi when you when you are talking on the phone or over an electronic conveyance. But um, anyway. Um, so uh uh it seems like there was one other thing um you know uh okay so i've already read a poem and song lyrics and i feel like i'm really pushing it but i don't know anybody better than uh here with you one of the things that we you know we you know we talk about um pop culture we talk about uh the passing scene um and we talk about books and movies and and TV. Um, So there's a mystery writer, or I guess you'd say a thriller writer, James Lee Burke, 
Um, and he, his character, Dave Robichaux, is based out of uh, New Orleans. And he's got some uh, Texas, um, some books set in, in Texas. But Dave Robichaux is always... Um, is a, is a New, Orleans, New Orleans guy. See, I even say it like a Yankee. But um, he wrote a book called The Tin Roof Blowdown. And the first chapter uh, is just a few paragraphs long, and I'd like to read it now because it is, first of all, it's writing that is like way above the genre writing category. I mean, there are times when James Lee Burke, when he's right on, that he just knocks it out of the park. Uh, and it's as, it's as good as, well, you can judge for yourself, but I think with everything going on in the world, uh, the Tin Roof Blowdown uh, came out after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and again, um, Burke, has got skin in the game because he's I think he splits his time uh, in, in, in New Orleans so um, this is from the Tin Roof Blowdown by James Lee Burke my, my worst dreams have always contained images of brown water and fields of elephant grass and the downdraft of helicopter blades the dreams are in color but they contain no sound not of drowned voices in the river or the explosions under the hooches in the village we burned or the throbbing of the jolly green and the gunships coming low and flat across the canopy like insects pasted against a molten sun. In the dream I lie on a poncho liner, dehydrated with blood expander, my upper thigh and side torn by wounds that could have been put there by wolves. I'm convinced I will die unless I receive plasma back at battalion aid. Next to me lies a Negro corporal wearing only his trousers and boots, his skin coal black, his torso split open like a gaping red zipper from his armpit down to his groin, the damage to his body so grievous, traumatic, and terrible to see or touch, he do doesn't understand what has happened to him. I got the spins, loot. how I look, he says. We've got the million-dollar ticket, doo-doo. We're freedom bird-bound, I reply. His face is crisscrossed with sweat. His mouth is glossy and bright as freshly applied lipstick when he tries to smile. The jolly green, green loads up and lifts off with doo-doo and 12 other wounded on board. I stare upward at its strange rectangular shape, its blades whirling against the lavender sky, and secretly I resent the fact that I and others are left behind to wait on the slick and the chance that serious numbers of NVA are coming through the grass. Then I witness the most bizarre and cruel and seemingly unfair event of my entire life. As the jolly green climbs above the river and turns toward the China Sea, a solitary RPG streaks at a 45-degree angle from the canopy below and explodes inside the bay. The ship shudders once and cracks in half, its fuel tanks blooming into an enormous orange fireball. The wounded on board are coated with flame as they plummet downward toward the water. Their, their lives are taken incrementally by flying shrapnel and bullets, by liquid flame on their skin, by drowning in a river. In effect, they are forced to die three times, 
a medieval torturer could not have devised a more diabolical fate. When I wake from the dream, I have to sit for a long time on the side of the bed, my arms clenched across my chest as though I've caught a chill, or the malarial mosquito is once again having its way with my metabolism. I assure myself that the dream is only a dream, that if it were real, I would have heard sounds and not simply seen images that are the stuff of history now and are not considered of interest by those who are determined to recreate them. I also tell myself that the past is a decaying memory and that I do not have to relive and empower it unless I choose to do so. As a recovering drunk, I know I cannot allow myself the luxury of resenting my government for lying to a whole generation of young men and women who believed they were serving a noble cause. Nor can I resent those who treated us as oddities, if not pariahs, when we returned home. When I go back to sleep, I once again tell myself I will never again have to witness the wide-scale suffering of innocent civilians, nor the betrayal and the abandonment of our countrymen when they need us most. But that was before Katrina. That was before a storm with greater impact than the bomb blast that struck Hiroshima peeled the face off southern Louisiana. That was before one of the most beautiful cities in the Western Hemisphere was killed three times and not just by the forces of nature. Wow. How you like them? How you like them apples? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's great writing. I also think that it's timely in that there are people who hope that the government will save them, will help. And um, six months into the COVID-19 crisis, it hasn't happened yet. So, wow, that's ending on a bummer note, right? Jeez, nice work, Winger. Get a grip. Anyway, if, if you need help, ask for it. People can't read your mind, though they can kind of look and see how you're how you're acting and how you're feeling be willing to accept help if uh if you need it and uh uh because it because we all need friends and uh tree thank you so much for being mine and for sitting in on the podcast today i, I appreciate your contribution to uh this survey of the passing scene i think it made for a, a good show having you on Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for inviting me. It was thoroughly enjoyable. And as always, I come away, I would like to think much more smarter than I first when I first come in. So thank you. Thank you. That was uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, it's been a long time since I've had poems read to me. Uh, okay, hey, well, let's, 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 let's make it really clear, Tree. I'm not reading you poems. Um, okay, that's how it starts. <laughs> That's not what's happening here, okay? So just just so we're just so we're clear, I was reading a poem and you just happened to be in proximity. That's that's really more of what happened. Okay, that's okay. exactly right. what happened. Right. Yes, right. you right. are right. correct. Right. That's correct. Okay, okay, good. Okay, good. Oh, so, but but yes, I, it, 
beautiful words, well-written words, especially that last one you wrote. I can almost imagine, uh, if not feel the dream, but see the dream, his vision, as you were reading it. So any any group of words that can evoke those kind of emotions and scenery in your head, wow, it's that's good writing. Well, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you don't need a movie. You don't need a big budget movie to imagine. And I think that's that's something that I think uh, uh, is a treat in today's world. Sometimes you forget it because uh, the immediate gratification is to go find something to stream, and hopefully it can make you think about other things, more deeper things than just a passing fancy. And, but words uh, remind me that uh, in books the imagination can be uh, engaged. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, we want to we want to thank um, uh, my friend Trevo for sitting in. We look forward to uh, uh, having Brian and Jared uh, return in due course. Tree, we hope uh, your schedule will allow you to come back and visit sometime. Uh, in the meantime, uh, this uh, has been episode 26 of um, the Managing Expectations podcast, proudly brought to you this week by Mrs. Winger Makes Masks. Please check out uh, her website, which is uh, uh, found here in the show notes. Um, thanks, Tree. Thank you, Jeff. All right.